Good morning. Praise the Lord. Open your Bibles with me to Psalm 111. My name is Matt Reno. I'm the associate pastor here of Youth and Young Families, if you don't know me. Great to have the opportunity to preach the word this morning. I'm thankful for that. Open your Bibles to Psalm 111. We've been praising the Lord together and we'll continue to do that through this psalm together. But first I need to see a show of hands. How many of you are follow the directions type of people? Raise your hand, follow directions. How many of you are, directions are optional type of people? Okay. Now, I think that men get kind of a negative stereotype with the directions thing, whether it's putting something together or traveling to a destination um, that men don't like to follow the directions. But men have this unique ability to be able to find a shortcut, no matter where you're going, to be able to find a shortcut that even Google satellite imagery has not found yet. But we have the ability to use those shortcuts to be able to get there in twice the amount of time that a normal person could get there. Isn't that fantastic? We also have that ability when putting together furniture, right, that we can put together furniture with far less pieces than the manufacturer even says we need. Isn't that amazing? I don't know why this is a negative stereotype at all. We have great skills, don't we? We're going to see in Psalm 111 some directions. Some directions and how we can direct our hearts to praise the Lord. And we need this help. So hopefully we'll see throughout this sermon, this morning, this message, that studying the character and works of the Lord will develop praise in your heart and wisdom for your life. That's our goal this morning, to be able to see that as we study, as we learn about these great and wonderful works of the Lord, about who our God is, that we will be ready to have that praise developed in our hearts and wisdom for our life. Let's read Psalm 111. I'll read, you follow along. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Let's pray. Lord, help us this morning. Help our hearts to be directed in praise to you. Uh, No matter what might be going on in our lives, what might have happened this last week, that we might be ready and see how we can develop this praise in our hearts because you are deserving of it. No matter what's going on in our lives, we know that you are always deserving of praise. So help us to learn this morning. Help get our hearts there uh, to praise you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 111 does not have an author attributed to it as the ones before. You see in 110, it says a psalm of David, 109, a psalm of David, but this one doesn't have it attributed to David. Um, 
Psalm 111 and 112 really go well together. It's not often that you see two psalms really paired well uh, together. It seems like it always jumps from one to something totally different in the next one. But Psalm 111 and 112 are both Hebrew acrostics, where they go through every letter of the Hebrew alphabet, with each starting with each line. And so it goes basically A to Z, only it's not our alphabet, it's Hebrews. So A left to Tav, I don't know Hebrew well, I don't know if I mispronounced that either. But it goes through the Hebrew alphabet, both 111 and 112 do that. And as you can see at the end of chapter 111, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then in 112, it begins with, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. So they really pair well together. So as you read, maybe this week, I encourage you to read them both back to back. But we're not going to be able to read 112 together this morning. But it encourages people to praise, not just praise the Lord from 112, but the blessings that come to the person who does fear the Lord, who does live for God. So I encourage you to read that this week, Psalm 112. But this psalm in 111 prescribes a way for us to praise God. This is a psalm that could have been used to, in a teaching moment, whether teaching just the people of Israel as a whole or children on this is how we praise the Lord. This is why we praise the Lord, and it gives directions in how to do that. It's possible that this is a psalm that is referring to the, them, the Israelites coming out of Egypt, and we'll talk about a few of the verses that make note of that. Um, so it could have been sung at the Passover time. It's very possible. But we are not sure exactly if this is one of those hymns that they used during the Passover each time. But it's very possible it could have been. The psalm begins and ends with praise. And in the middle, we find the why of the praise. And I chose to preach on this this morning because I thought it was fitting that after having gone through the minor prophets and seen so many works of God that we take a sermon, take a a Sunday just to praise God for all those works that we learned about through the minor prophets. Because we were met with God judging the Israelites and God judging the Israelites' enemies through the minor prophets to God showing grace and mercy to the Israelites And the Israelites' enemies. We're met with Israel over and over again, rejecting God and often not understanding what God was doing. So after hearing about all those works of God, let's take a moment and let's praise him for those great and mighty works. So step one is our declaration to praise. This is what we have to do to begin with. And this might sound odd or it might sound like an obvious thing. To praise God is you have to declare that you're going to praise God. But this is something that we kind of need. How often are we just given to complaining? That seems like the natural bent of our heart is to complain about something. I find that when I watch movies, even movies I enjoy that I've seen over and over again, I find myself complaining about the movies. I was like, that cut scene wasn't very good. They should have done better. Man, their acting really isn't as good as I want it to be. That, that line wasn't, a, that was kind of a throwaway line. It, man, if they gave me the script, I could have done so much better with it. But nobody was asking me. Even movies I enjoy, I'm finding reasons to complain. Social media is a wonderful place for us to complain, isn't it? This is the best place. It is the place that almost is created for complaints and arguments to be brought to it. And when we complain on Facebook and all of their social medias out there, 
It seems like we're rewarded by people complimenting us and praising us for our complaints. Not only that, but we're rewarded our, our complaints by other people complaining about our complaints. It is just a, a place that is just fed with us being able to complain about things and argue about things and share what we're disappointed in. It says, give thanks to the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Spurgeon, in his commentary on this passage, he says, all you, his saints, unite in adoring Jehovah, who work ethics so gloriously. Do it now, do it always, do it heartily, do it unanimously, do it eternally. Even if others refuse, take care that you always have a song for your God. Put away all doubt, question, murmuring, and rebellion, and give yourselves up to the praising of Jehovah, both with your lips and your lives. We need to sometimes walk away, maybe even from this sermon, there might be a lot of things to complain about, but that we walk away saying, I am going to praise the Lord. I'm going to make a declaration that today I am going to praise the Lord. When I go home tonight, when I get ready for school tomorrow, I am going to praise the Lord. We need to do it from our hearts, and we need to do it in front of others. That's what we see here. He says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. What a great picture that not only is this a psalm of instruction on how we're going to praise and why we're going to praise, but he, this is a guy who is praising the Lord himself. He's doing it with his whole heart. And this is what, isn't this what God desires from us? That we praise the Lord with our whole heart, from our hearts. And the beauty of this verse is that God is the one who gives us a new heart so that we are able to praise him with our whole hearts. So he gives us the ability. If you're saying, ah, it's so hard to do. Yeah, it could be hard to do. Hard to praise God with our whole heart. But in the fact that he has replaced our heart of stone with a heart of flesh gives us the ability to praise the Lord out of our whole heart. I love when God asks us to do things and to know that it's possible to do those things. He's not going to ask us to do things that is impossible for us. He says, worship, the psalmist says to worship with my whole heart and praise my whole heart. And then as it has just swelled up in his heart, this praise for God, he is going to do it in front of other people. He says, in the company of the upright in the congregation. This company of the upright is spoken of Israel. Upright just really means that you are on the straight and narrow. You're not deviating to the right or to the left. You are going the direction, this case, that God is wanting them to go. So in this company, in the congregation, this praise that has been swelling up in his heart, his love for God, just wanting to praise God, he can't help but to share it with others. He can't help but to do it in front of other people. That doesn't caution him at all. He's not saying, I want to praise the Lord, but there's so many people around. I don't, uh, maybe I shouldn't. It just, he, he must. Just like many Hawkeye fans this morning are praising together, right? Did that stop any of you Hawkeye fans from shouting your praise on Facebook? No, it did not. I got on Facebook, I saw. Right? We, when we're happy, we just can't help but to share it. Our excitement with other people. If you're excited about the Lord, give thanks to the Lord with your heart, then it's going to overflow. It's going to naturally overflow to be done in front of others. 
we see that this generation of the upright in verse uh, chapter 112, verse 2, we see this up, generation of the upright will be blessed. This upright, the people who are following after God, that's where he's praising. So now let's look at why he is praising. We need to know why he's praising. That's what we find from verse 2 through verse 9. After he declares that he's going to praise the Lord, now he says why he's praising. He said, we focus our whole hearts on the character of the works of God and the character of God. That's how we're going to be able to get our hearts there. If you're here this morning and you're thinking, my life has been tough this week. I've had lots of struggles. Relationships aren't going well. Maybe medical issues you're having. You're thinking, how can I really praise the Lord? As we think back, um, just yesterday, remembering 9-11, how do you praise the Lord in that? In the the light of such evil, how do we bring our hearts to praise God? So I pray that as we go through these verses, that you'll begin to see who God is. That even when other things around you are difficult and hard, even when there's sin around you, there is always going to be cause Always going to be reason to praise God. So let's go through these things together. Okay, in two lists here. First, we see great are the works of the Lord. What a wonderful opening statement. Notice that there are no qualifiers with it. Great are the works of the Lord except when times are hard. Great are the works of the Lord except when things don't go your way. Great are the works of the Lord except when life is stressful. There aren't any exceptions here. It just says, great are the works of the Lord. And we read this earlier from Psalm 145, verse 9, where it says that the Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. There are no qualifiers. The works that God does, they are great. End of story. And it says that they are studied, they are searched out by all who delight in them. When we talk about studying, it's kind of a bad word now, right? With school in session, right? You can't use your phone until you study. You can't do this until you get your studying in. You can't do this or that, right? It's used as a punishment to study, right? If you, but if you don't study your English, kids, then you're not going to talk as good or as you should talk. It's important. So as you're thinking about the subjects, though, that you do enjoy, think about those subjects. Maybe it's woodworking or cooking or music or tractors or farming or cars or whatever it might be that you really enjoy. And I were to give you a stack of the best resources, magazines, books, give you all the links that have the best YouTube tutorials in there, all those things like, hey, I want you to study this. Are you going to be like, Pastor Matt, you are the worst. How dare, that is a punishment. How dare you give me all the things to learn about something that I love? No. You're going to say, wow, thank you. It's going to take me a while to get through these. But you're going to enjoy looking at all the best resources at your disposal. If you love the Lord, if you love the works of God, then studying them will not be a burdensome thing to you. You're going to enjoy flipping through the pages of the Old and New Testaments. You're going to search out commentaries to help you understand. You're going to watch sermons. You're going to come to ABF 
in Sunday school so that you can learn more about this wonderful God. You're going to come on Wednesday nights and so we can study all the more and it's not going to seem like a burdensome thing to you because you delight in the Lord. You delight in the works of the Lord. So why wouldn't you want to study them out? Why wouldn't you want to search them all out and find the wonderful God through all of the story of Scripture? We've already done the study through the minor prophets. So let's fix our hearts towards praise. In verse 3, he says, They are full of splendor and majesty are his works. This is a similar definition, splendor and majesty. They go really well together. And by putting these two together, he's kind of compounding how wonderful the works of God are. Much like Isaiah did in chapter 6 when he recorded the angels singing, Holy, holy, holy. It was holy of holiest of holies to show the infinite holiness of God. Here he's saying this, gloriously glorious are the works of God. Excellently excellent. Compounding both of these together, just saying, as it's evident to be seen by all, these works of God are just amazing. His righteousness endures forever, going over to the character of God. Isn't that wonderful, that his righteousness endures forever? I can remember times when I have been righteous, when I have done the right thing out of the right heart motive and said the right thing, and when I do that, I'm like, yes, got it, because it doesn't happen all the time for me. But there are times that it does, and I know that you have those times as well, Christians, where you say, I said the right godly thing with the right heart motive. Yes, praise the Lord. Amen. So glad that happened because we get really excited about those moments because we can remember all the times when we don't and where we aren't righteous in how we're living or acting. But the character of God, his righteousness, it endures forever. There is never a moment where God doesn't get it right. He always gets it right because that's his character all the time. And that sometimes is hard for us to fathom. It's hard to imagine a God who is right all the time because we're not. But it's a good reminder that we are not God. Verse 4, his works are wondrous. Just meaning how high the works of God are. He caused his wondrous works to remember the Lord is gracious and merciful this character of God's grace and mercy goes so well together. And we see that in this verse that God's grace and mercy, in that, he causes us to remember his works. His wondrous works, he causes us to remember them because if he didn't, we would probably forget. If you're like me, and I'm definitely like me, I have a tendency to forget things. It's easy for me to think, I did that wonderful thing. I am awesome and great. It's easy for me to think that way, but to think that God is the one. No, God is the one who's working. It's easy for me to forget. But God, in his grace, as a wonderful gift of God's grace, he causes us to remember his wondrous works. And even as an act of mercy, having compassion on us, knowing that we will have a tendency to forget God and all his works, in his mercy, he causes his wondrous works to be remembered. I'm so thankful to God for that. He remembers his covenant forever. 
The second part of verse 5 here, I love how the King James Version says that God is ever mindful of his covenant. I like that phrase because it helps us to think about it in ways that, that God is not tempted to forget. It's not that God might forget if he doesn't keep remembering, but God is, remember, perfectly righteous, and so he's always going to be remembering, but it, he says that he has it on the forefront of his thoughts, that God's covenants are always there. He is always mindful of them, knowing that he has made these covenants with people. Which covenant is he talking about here? God has made lots of covenants. God made the covenant to Adam, right? In Genesis chapter 3 and 4, we see God's covenant after man had sinned. And God made a covenant to send a savior. God made a covenant with Noah never to flood the earth again. God made a covenant with Abraham to make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And we know God made a covenant with David to make his throne last forever. I really, really believe that this covenant, and God remembers his covenant forever, it, it could be any one of those. Because he is, remember, perfect in everything he does. And so he, all of his covenants he is ever mindful of, always coming to completion. But this one in this case, I might be referring to, because of verse earlier in verse 5, where he says that he provides food for those who fear him. That he might specifically be talking about God bringing the Israelites out of Egypt from when they were slaves. Exodus 6.5 says, Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenants. And then we also remember in Exodus 16, where God graciously provides food for his people. So it's very specific here in verse 5. He provides food for those who fear him, and that's what he did to his people when they were wandering in the wilderness. He has shown his people through that Remembering his covenant, the power of his works. Think through those plagues in Exodus. Crossing the Red Sea, the manna and quail, the battle of Jericho. That really wasn't much of a battle because God just won it. Defeating many, many enemies so that they could enter into the promised land. The inheritance that he promised Abraham so many years before, God gives it to them. What great power he displayed in front of all nations. Remember when he approached, when the Israelites approached Jericho? Rahab, what did she say? She's like, we have heard of this God of yours. We have heard of him. Everyone knew the power of God. And don't miss that this inheritance is a gift. He gave it to them. They didn't take it by force because they were so strong. Remember, they didn't have really a military strength. They were slaves. There were a lot of them. But they didn't have a military that they were training all the time. They were slaves in Egypt. But yet God, over and over again, just won them the victories and won the battles for them. How far would have Israel gotten without God? <laughs> we know they wouldn't get far at all. His works are powerful. I think we've clearly seen over this past summer's studies in the minor prophets that the works of the Lord are powerful. From the rise and fall of nations to the future works of the Lord that are still yet to be done. Pastor Zach reminded us of this in Zechariah 14.1, that a day is coming for the Lord. And that day of power is going to dwarf anything that we have seen yet in Scripture. When Jesus comes and sets all things right, when he executes all of his judgments, a power that we have not yet seen. 
and his works are faithful and just. The works of his hands, verse 7, are faithful and just. They are all purposed to accomplish the same things, every one of his works, namely the glory of himself. And in this verse, he adds the works of his hands. It gives us this understanding that God is not outsourcing his works. He doesn't just spin the earth and say, all right, good luck. It is the works of his hands. It is the power of his hand that he is intimately doing all of these things. It is his hand to do it, and it has to be him. It couldn't be anyone else. Because if they are faithful and just, it has to be God who's doing it. If they are faithfully powerful and faithfully splendor, splendorous and majestic and great, if they are faithfully all these things, they have to be all from God. And they are all from God. Everything that you, situation you find yourself in, is from the Lord. All his precepts are trustworthy. See this in verse 7 of the second part there. The words of God, precepts, the trustworthiness of it, means that they can be relied upon. You can put your full faith in his word. They can be believed. So we should be studying out these precepts as they are established forever. We know the the passage in Isaiah that says the grass withers and the flower fades, but what stands forever? The word of the Lord. That's right. Forever and ever. That means there will never be a time when these character works of God, because he has declared them in his word, these character works of God, the character of God, there will never be a time when one of those falls apart. Never a time when one of those will stop happening or will even happen a little bit less. They are all faithfully these things all the time. God is that God, even today. Now he says in verse 8 here that they are to be performed, these precepts, with faithfulness and uprightness. Why do you think he told the Israelites that? Why is this included in the praise? It's so much easier to just say, yeah, God got us out of Egypt. Praise the Lord. That was a miracle. Fantastic. Wow, we just, the walls of Jericho just fell down. Miracle. Wow. Thank, praise the Lord. And we can be the same way, right? Uh, we've celebrated a lot of new life in our church over the past few years. We say, wow, new life. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. We say, you see maybe medical issues that have cleared up or something that people have been getting better from a serious illness. You're like, yeah, praise the Lord. That's awesome. And, and we should, and it's good for us to praise the Lord in all those circumstances. But then when it comes to obeying the words of God, it's like, huh, that's a little bit harder to do. When God works miracles, it's like, yeah, amen, praise the Lord. We'll definitely go for that. But wait, I have to do something now. <laughs> Living this out, that's kind of difficult to do. And sure it is. Matthew 5.44 says, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you? That's a little bit harder. (laughs) It's like, I don't know if I really want to faithfully and uprightly not deviate from that one. Do you know what people are saying about me on Facebook? I have to come at them, don't I? I have to go after them. Sure, I'm supposed to love my enemies there, and then I have to pray for them too? That's a little bit harder to praise the Lord in. Maybe when James says, be quick to hear, it's slow to speak. (laughs) Slow to anger. How do I praise the Lord doing that? It's not as fun. It's more fun when just God works miracles and does all the things that I want him to do. But now he says, 
These words of God that are trustworthy, they are to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. That is part of our praise to God. It's not just rejoicing when he works miracles, but it's also in us living our life faithfully and uprightly according to the word of God. That's part of our praising him. When we fulfill God's words in a way that reflects his own glory. Psalm 119.92 says, If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. In that, these precepts that God has given us are trustworthy and established forever. Don't you think that they are worthy of us fulfilling them to the best of our ability, faithfully and uprightly? This is the second call in our praise to God where we are to do something. First, we saw in verse 2 that we are to study them out, study out these great works of God. And now we are to live them out to fulfill, again, these wonderful works that he has declared. We're to be obedient to God's word, not deviating. In verse 9, it says that he has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. So we see God again fulfilling his covenant, sending redemption, sending a deliverer, sending deliverance upon his people. Again, most likely referring to Israel coming up out of Egypt, God remembering his covenant to them. And this, he has commanded his covenant. This commands might be the the law that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. But we can see the truth of this verse really on all times, at all times within all of Scripture. Not just that one instance of God delivering the Israelites out of Egypt. Because we saw him deliver, right, Joseph's family, rising Joseph to be second in command. Otherwise, his family would have starved from a famine. We see God delivering in so many battles in Joshua and Judges, First and Second Samuel and so many others. We see God even doing great works in delivering Israel out of occupations of superpowers. The book of Daniel and the minor prophets that we just went through. As we see, ultimately, God continuing to deliver. Continuing to deliver. Man being sinful, going away from God, and yet he continues because they were his people. That He's going to keep helping them and saving them over and over again. And then we ultimately see the deliverer in Jesus. The one who fulfilled the covenant that God had made. Remember that God was making these covenants to sinful people. God was making these covenants to Adam, the guy who committed this first sin that condemned all of humanity. God made a promise to him that he would send a deliverer. To Noah and Abraham and David, all sinful people. People needing to be saved. God making a covenant to rebels. Does that blow your mind a little bit? Can you imagine making a covenant to your enemy that you were going to save them? Somebody who despises you? Somebody who hates you? And you say, I'm going to make a promise to save you. In what way I can save you? No, they, they get our scorn usually, right? They get our ridicule. But here, man has rebelled against God, has hated who God is, are enemies of everything that we see up here on the screen, enemies of all of it, and yet God has made a promise to each and every one of us. A promise that 
he has sent a deliverer for us. He has sent Jesus, his only son, to, who perfectly, perfectly, sorry, perfectly performed in verse 8 with faithfulness and uprightness, perfectly did all the precepts of God where we could not. We did not have the ability to be perfect in every way. But Jesus was, and he did. And then he went to the cross, even for our imperfection, for our sin, he took the full wrath of God. He took that punishment where we were the ones who rebelled, and yet God said, no, I'm sending a deliverer that anyone who puts their faith in Jesus will be rescued, will be redeemed, will be delivered from the penalty of death. He sent redemption to his people. He sent redemption for you and for me. If you put your faith in Jesus today, you can be saved. You can be redeemed. You can be in a relationship with this wonderful God. How amazing would that be? You stop running and being the opposite of what's up there and start living for this great and awesome God. Holy and awesome is his name that he would send a deliverer for us. Is there anyone like our God? (laughs) We would not be this. We cannot be this perfectly all the time. That, That is not us. But we have a God who is. I love this verse from Colossians 1. It says that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Our God has sent redemption to us. Do you know him? And this, because of all this, should develop our praise. This is the reason why we praise God. I want you to think about the situations that you're finding yourself in that God has sovereignly ordained for you to be going through. And I want you to hold on to these character works of God. What is God doing? He is all these things all the time. The works that he does are all these things all of the time. You might have deep trials in life. You might have deep medical issues. You might have very serious political concerns. You might have serious relationship problems. Look up at the screen. This is the God who is at work in your life. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be concerned about those problems in life. Not at all. Those are things that we should be concerned about. Whether they're deep, serious issues or whether maybe just minor inconveniences that just bother you a lot. I'm not saying that those should be outside of your concern. But what I am saying is that you can praise God even in the midst of that. It is possible to praise the Lord. There are times of lament when things go bad, when there is evil out there. As we remembered yesterday, there's a good time to lament, to be sad over sin. But remember, there's always a reason to praise that you have this God. Even when you might not be able to see it, even when it's difficult. I want you to implore you to change your focus, maybe. Maybe that's what you need to get your heart around to praising the Lord. It's not that you don't look at the trials in your life. It's not that. But that you look at them through the lens of this God. 
through the lens of who he is in his character, and he's all these things faithfully, in what he's trying to do, the work that he is doing in your life, even though it's hard, even though it's difficult, to praise the Lord. Again, I know it's not easy, and I don't want to make it sound as if it's easy to do. It is hard, but it is also possible. And I want you to know that, that it is possible to praise God even when life is hard. As we learn many things from the minor prophets, we've learned this, that God uses people and nations, both righteous and unrighteous, to accomplish his great works. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. It is tough, but it is possible. Step three is really just live a life of praise. As we come to the last verse here, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Because of that God that we have, because of his works being so great, full of splendor, we must fear the Lord. This is a fear not out of judgment that if we don't obey God, then he's going to smite us down at every turn. This is a fear of, of love. Uh, of like a, a son would fear his father and want to obey his father because he loves him so much. This is that type of fear that because we love God, because we have been face to face with his character and the character of his works and what he does, that we say, man, how can I not obey him? I must obey him. I want to please this God because he is so good, because he is so wonderful all the time. I want to fear the Lord. And to say that fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it really means that it's the chief of wisdom. You cannot have true biblical wisdom without fearing the Lord. And if you want to show any good wisdom in your life, then you will fear the Lord. One of the commentaries I read put it this way, and it just really succinctly did it well. There is no wisdom in men till they fear God. When they do fear God, that is the wisest thing they do. No man ever attains to any wisdom higher than this. Fear the Lord. We looked at who he is. Live your life in praise as you fear God. Recognize from Job and Proverbs, God said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is insight. One of the best ways that you can bring praise to the Lord is not just with your lips and song, but when our hearts and when our lives align with God's character. To practice that which reflects back the glory of God, back to God. So praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let's make sure our hearts are stirred to praise God together because he is worthy of it. I believe that we can now, as we have went through this psalm, that you can see that studying out the character and the works of the Lord, it's going to develop praise in your heart and wisdom for your life. Let's pray together. Lord, it's hard to come before you knowing how sinful I am and how awesome you are. Um, But the fact that you have made a covenant and promise, and you have sent Christ to pay for my sins, that I am now your child, 
that I have a good relationship with you, that you desire for me to come to you, Lord, I can come to you boldly now, full of praise and wonder and awe and just uh, remarking at how great you are. I'm thankful for you. Thankful for your works, even when I don't see it. Even when my life is hard and things are not going my way. Uh, Lord, I know you are still greatly to be praised. Lord, as we pray and as we think about the song coming up next, Lord, about Christ and what he's done. Lord, help us, our hearts, as we sing this last song, help our hearts to praise you. Help us to love you more because of what we learned from your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.